I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and we're going to be picking up on that passage in a minute to talk about a different type of Palm Sunday message. John chapter 12. And uh, while you turn there, allow me to introduce it. I don't know if you noticed, I came up here with a football from the youth room, so thank you, Kevin. In fact, I wanted to illustrate by throwing it to him as I talk about this, but I'm afraid I might hit the camera or uh, I haven't played football in a long time, but I like football. Any of you like football? You've got a few hands, right? I really, really, really like football. I don't know why. I, sometimes I'm watching a game and I think, why do I like this game so much? Why, why, do, why am I drawn to this game? I like football better than other sports. How many of you like basketball? Just a few hands. How many of you like football more than basketball? That would be me. How many of you like baseball? You can, I heard somebody say, you can literally, baseball is such a slow game. You can literally do your daily devotions with God while watching a baseball game and not miss anything on either side. No, I'm just kidding about that. I did hear somebody say that, but it's a joke for you that love, love baseball. Baseball season's coming, right? I mean, opening day, maybe a month away. I really like football. And as I thought about it, I think what I like about football so much is I like watching those perfect plays. And I'm sure that maybe we get those with other sports as well, but I just love it with football. There's a show on NFL Network, which I don't have now, but I've had it before, off and on, called A Football Life. And if you watch A Football Life, they'll trace a certain player and talk about their childhood that led to their, their, their life playing the game and then their life after the game, A Football Life. And before that, it used to be something called NFL Films. And I used to love watching NFL films because NFL films would, you know, do the same thing. I used to come home from school, even as a kid, NFL films would be on and they would be talking about the Super Bowls of the 70s and spotlight a certain player or something in the, in the Super Bowl. And I just love watching these highlights of a particular player. I watched a football life about Terry Bradshaw twice. It's so good. It's on YouTube. It's actually free. You can watch it for free. I've watched it twice. And I've watched A Football Life about um, Barry Sanders. Anybody remember Barry Sanders? It was great watching him take the ball and run and juke people out to get somewhere. I watched A Football Life about Paul Brown. So since I make jokes about the Browns so much, I should say Paul Brown, one of the greatest coaches of NFL history, doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Paul Brown. Watch a football life about Jim Brown. How neat it is to go back and see the footage of Jim Brown running with the football. Again, I like the perfect play. So Terry Bradshaw is great watching. If you watch a football life or NFL films, he'll throw the perfect pass to Lynn Swan. And Lynn Swan would like jump up and catch it. It's perfect watching that. In fact, there's a video you can find on YouTube. Where he throws the perfect, well, it wasn't the perfect pass because it was overthrown. A throw to Lynn Swan, and it goes over the end zone. And Lynn Swan did not know there was a car on the other side of the end zone, like a late 70s big car. Lynn Swan leaps over the car for the pass. I don't know if he caught it or not. It was, over, it was out of bounds. But he just did that. It's awesome watching the perfect play. One thing about football, and this is the reason I share about this. One reason I share about football, one thing about it is the, the fans love you when you're playing well, right? They love you. They're holding their, your jersey. They got signs in, the, in, the, in the, um, their seats, everything. They love you. But they are very quick to boo when you're not playing well, right? I mean, we've all seen it. Terry Bradshaw 
retired in like 1982 or something like that. And he did not enter the NFL, the, the Pittsburgh Stadium again. Even though he was working for, I think, CBS Sports and Fox Sports, even though he was working for them, he did not enter the Pittsburgh Stadium again until something like 2002. And he did not know. He had no regrets. He says he had no regrets when he retired. It was so hard on him emotionally when, he, when the fans would boo or, or, or say bad things and things like that. He did not know when he entered the stadium again how they would respond. Well, fortunately for him, he walked in with his two daughters, and at halftime, they gave a special, some type of a award for him or something like that. And they were all waving the terrible towels, and they were all happy. But in sports, and I know what happens with the Browns too, right? I mean, they love Bernie Kosar when he's playing well, and then they turn and they boo when you're not playing as well. They all do that, right? They celebrate you one minute, the next they don't. And you're wondering, why am I sharing this? On Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and people cheered for him, didn't they? He entered Jerusalem and the people cheered for him. They were waiting for a savior. They were happy. They were waiting for a king. But on the following Friday, he would be crucified. Now, many people believe it was not, it was not the same crowd cheering for him as the same crowd cheering crucify him. Some people would say it was the same crowd. And many people believe it was a, it was a different crowd or at least a, partially a different group. But my point is still the same. How can you be cheered one moment and the following Friday, crucified. Today I want to talk about the why. Why did Jesus enter Jerusalem? Why not, why not stay away? Why enter Jerusalem? Why not stay away? Jesus knew that he would be crucified. He knew. He knew what awaited him. Luke 13.33 and Matthew 16.21 and Matthew 17.22 and Mark 8.31 all show Jesus knew what awaited him when he entered Jerusalem. Why did he go into Jerusalem? If you knew that you would go somewhere and be crucified, would you go? I mean, Steve already pointed out, you know, the Romans knew how to torture people. They had perfected this. They, they, they copied crucifixion, possibly off, the, off, off of the Persians, but they knew how to torture people. Jesus knew what awaited him. Jesus likely would have seen people crucified before. The Romans would crucify people in high traffic areas. They did it intentionally to say, don't mess with us. If you knew, would you go in? Jesus did. Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing what awaited him. Why? Why did he do it? He enters Jerusalem and the people love him. He is later crucified. He, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Why did he do it? For us. He entered Jerusalem thinking about us. Maybe in his omniscience, literally. For sure, he was thinking about saving us from our sins. He knew what it had to happen. He did this for us. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verses 3 through 11 shows that. I'm gonna, I won't hold the football the whole time. Um, my theme today is Jesus enters Jerusalem knowing, emphasize knowing, that the cross awaited him. He did this for the salvation of sinners. My application, we must stay focused on Jesus even when persecution, tribulation, or difficulty awaits us. Stay focused on Jesus even when persecution, tribulation, or difficulty awaits us. Most of the time, we don't do like Jesus. Most of the time, we know something bad is going to happen and we avoid it at all costs. Jesus knew it was the Lord's will. He knew he had to focus on the Father's business. He always did. So let's look at the passage. Uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Let's look at verses 12 through 15 of John chapter 12. John chapter 12 Verses 12 through 15. 
It says the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. I'm not going to talk a lot about the passage today. I'm going to share a little bit about this passage, and then I want to jump to applications. We see in this passage that Jesus is entering Jerusalem. A large crowd had gathered for the week of Passover. The feast is a Passover feast. It says, notice this, it says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. What feast? This is the Passover feast. An annual feast that was a big, big deal. The next day would have been Sunday. The great multitude that had come to Jerusalem for the Passover undoubtedly included many pilgrims from Galilee, where Jesus had, where Jesus had his greatest following. The crowd evidently surrounded Jesus. Since in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, Matthew and Mark write, there were many people in front of Jesus and many behind him. They had surrounded Jesus. You can see that in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, and Matthew chapter 11, verse 9. They are surrounding Jesus. I want to share some more background before we move on. Those already present in Jerusalem typically welcomed pilgrims to the feast. So if you're, a, if you're a natural resident of Jerusalem, they would typically welcome the pilgrims that came to the feast because lots of people came to this feast from all over. It was called the Diaspora. The Diaspora is where Jewish people were spread out all over you know, the kingdom of Rome and even further away. They were spread out through the times when Israel was conquered and they were spread out and they all would try to come home. They would come home to Jerusalem for this feast. There were two major feasts that they came home to home for. One was Passover, the other was Pentecost. And isn't it awesome that Jesus was crucified and resurrected at Passover? Of course he had to be. And then the Holy Spirit came upon the church at Pentecost. And during both of those feasts, Jerusalem's population would swell from maybe 250 people to close to a million people. All these witnesses of what God was doing. So palm branches would be used at the Feast of Tabernacles, but had to be brought from Jericho, Jericho to the south of Israel, or the southern border of Israel. They'd been one of the, palm branches had been one of the nationalistic symbols of Judea since the days of the Maccabees, and they were consistently used to celebrate military victories and probably stirred some political messianic hopes among the people. They would use palm branches. Now, I just said something that you may not know about. I said they've been used since the days of the Maccabees. And you may be thinking, what are the Maccabees? Who were the Maccabees? The Maccabees were a Jewish family around the time of 167 B.C. And they conquered, or at least they didn't conquer, but they kicked the Greeks out of the temple. During that time, around 167 B.C., the Greek leader, Ptolemy, I think it was, Ptolemy, or it might have been Antiochus, I think it was Antiochus Epiphanes, actually. The Greek leader brought a pig in the Jerusalem temple and attempted, to, or did, sacrifice that pig to Zeus. Now, you don't sacrifice to Zeus in the Jewish temple. 
and you do not sacrifice a pig. A pig was an unclean animal. That is one of the worst things that you could do. And that infuriated with this holy rage the Maccabee family. And they came in and they brought war on the Greeks locally, on the local Greek leaders. And they kicked him out of Jerusalem. And for the first time in hundreds of years, the Jerusalem people had independence. And that brought on another holiday and a celebration. And since the time of the Maccabees, they would celebrate with palm branches. And when the people came in, or at least when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, what do they say? They say, Hosanna. And Hosanna means save us. Save us. Both this and the next line of verse 9 come from Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. And Psalms numbers 113 through 118 are called the Hillel. And they were regularly sung at Passover season. So these words were fresh in everyone's mind. Every year at Passover season, they would sing these psalms. Sing Psalms 113 through 118. I like what one source shares. Unfortunately, many in the crowd, in this crowd, many in this crowd welcoming Jesus, unfortunately, many in this crowd welcoming Jesus only, only thought of him as a political deliverer and not as a spiritual savior. Instead of riding in on a horse like a warrior, what did Jesus choose to do? He chose a bird, a donkey. He chose a donkey, which is a burden-bearing animal. Old Testament prophecy identified the Messiah King Jesus as coming to the daughter of Zion, to Jerusalem, seated on a donkey's colt. The donkey was also a symbol of peace and humility, and that's how Jesus entered Jerusalem. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of peace and humility. Now remember, when he comes again, when Jesus comes again, he's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a war horse to bring judgment. He came in humility this time to bring salvation. Most of us know this story, right? Most of us have heard this story many, many times. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and we now begin Holy Week. Jesus will wash the disciples' feet in a few days. In between now and Monday, Thursday, Jesus will teach, as well as anger, many of the Jewish leaders. Now what I want to focus on is the application. Why did Jesus enter Jerusalem? Why did he do it? Now most of you know this. You, most of you could easily answer the why. I just want to emphasize it more. Why? Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing that suffering was ahead of him. He entered Jerusalem because he was going to the cross. He entered Jerusalem because this is what was necessary to bring salvation to us. Jesus did not avoid his mission, did he? He was always about his Father's will. You can go to Luke chapter 2, verse 49, and Jesus was only something like 12 years old. And what did he tell his parents? I have to be about my Father's business. He's like 12 years old. Mary and Joseph, Joseph lose him. Imagine that. It's bad enough losing your child. They lost the Savior. They lost the Messiah. They go back to the temple and see him interacting and talking with the religious leaders. And what does he say? I have to be about my father's business. My father's work, he might have said. He always was about his father's business. And this is so different than what we do. Oftentimes, we take the easiest path, don't we? The rest of this message is about applications. Exhorting you, Jesus did not take the easiest path. He went to the cross. Worship him. Worship him as Savior. I also want to exhort you, encourage you, challenge you. 
God will call us to things that are not always easy. And we need to follow him as well. We must stay focused on Jesus even when persecution, tribulation, or or difficulty awaits us. How much, let's start with this, how much do we care about the salvation of others? It would be easy to apply this message and just say, say, stay focused on God's will, even if things are difficult. But, but, But that's not the main reason Jesus came. Jesus came to focus on the Father's will, but why did he go to the cross? He went to the cross to save us. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 are all about that. He went to the cross for our salvation. Jesus went to the cross for the Father's will, but more specifically, he did this for our salvation. How much do we care about the salvation of others? Are we being intentional thinking about the salvation of others? Do we get up in the morning and as part of our prayer time, pray for those we know who do not know the gospel? Do we get up in the morning and say, Lord, give me an opportunity to represent the gospel. Give me an opportunity to share the gospel with these people today. Do we think as we go about our day-to-day life that people need salvation? And you might be the only example, the only testimony of Christianity that they will see this day. Like Jesus, we must be willing to go through with situations knowing that we are in God's will, even if suffering is ahead of us. Jesus went to the cross for our need. In Philippians 2, 3-11, through 11, the Apostle Paul exhorts us under inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And he says, do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Consider others more important than yourselves. And then he gives the example of Jesus. Jesus was with God in heaven. And he left his heavenly abode. Why did he do it? He did it for us. He did it for our salvation. Paul says he even went to the cross. He even went, he just didn't go to any old death. He went to death on a cross for our sins, for our salvation. That in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That comes from Isaiah, by the way. It comes from Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But Paul is quoting Isaiah in that passage. Jesus went to the cross for our salvation. We must be willing to go through persecution, tribulation, and even death for the salvation of others. And most of us may not have to face that. At least maybe not death. Maybe not crucifixion. Maybe not the scourging with the cat of nine tails like Jesus faced. But are we willing to face little tribulations for Jesus? You know, this must have been very difficult for Jesus. He knew what awaited him throughout this week, yet he entered Jerusalem. You know, we may know family members or friends who need salvation. But being around them is difficult for us. We can be like Jesus and enter those relationships thinking about the greater need, realizing God has placed us in their life for a purpose. And the purpose is to be an ambassador of Christ. We may think, we may think that our neighbor or our coworker or our relative, we may think that they are, they are our, our enemy because of our conflicting worldviews. But they are not our enemy. They are mission-filled. God has placed us where we are for a reason. And we are called to be Jesus' ambassadors. And many times we neglect that responsibility. We shirk that responsibility. We turn away. Unlike Jesus who went into Jerusalem, we go the other way. 
We say, I'm not comfortable here. I'm not happy in this situation. And I'm going to seek my happiness, my comfort, my peace, my prosperity over God's will. And Jesus did not do that. He went to Jerusalem knowing that the cross awaited him. And he did that for our salvation. How willing are we to be on mission for Jesus? Even if it means we have to walk through difficult times. Even if it means that we have to face some mockings or persecutions or hard times. We must be willing to enter what we think of as enemy's territory for the gospel. Quit thinking of people with different worldviews as your enemy. They're not your enemy. They're your mission field. That doesn't mean pick fights. I'm not saying that. Sometimes you've already talked about the faith. You've talked about other things. Maybe you need to just pray, pray, pray that the Holy Spirit's going to open a door. But be careful. Because sometimes when the Holy Spirit does open the door... We miss the opportunity because we think they are our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are our mission field. Sometimes we need to try to love somebody. But instead, we're going the other way. We're going outside Jerusalem when Jesus entered Jerusalem. And we need to try to love them. Think, how can I support them? How can I send them a card? How can I take them out to dinner? How can I congratulate them when something good happens? How can I try to build bridges and not roadblocks? They are our mission field. We must be willing to be intentional and purposeful for the gospel. Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem knowing that this was his father's will. He was intentional and he was purposeful, wasn't he? We must seek the Lord's will and not avoid difficult situations. We must pray and seek the Lord's will knowing that nothing is off limits. Do we think about that? Nothing is off limits. Nothing the Lord calls us to is off limits. Maybe the Lord will call us to serve in overseas missions. Even in our retirement. Can you imagine that? It's true. I know people that have done that. I was on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And as we were in the Dominican Republic, we went to an orphanage. A very, very, very important ministry everywhere, and especially there. And you know who was running that orphanage? A retired couple from the United States of America. They retired and when most people want to seek their own pleasures and joys and go around the world cruising on a ship, and nothing wrong with cruises, I'm not saying that, not, not, not at all. They go around the world and just seek their own pleasure. What did they do? They went on the mission field. They chose to serve their older years on the mission field. Are we willing to follow the Lord's will even when maybe he calls us to something that at first, we're not interested in doing. Guess what? When you line up and you say, Lord, I'll follow you, eventually, I believe we will all find joy and peace and excitement in serving him. Maybe the Lord will call you to pick one day a week and serve at the rescue, rescue mission. Maybe the Lord will call you to pick one day a week and serve at the Pregnancy Help Center. Maybe the Lord will call you to start some local ministry that's so needed or volunteer in, in, in the church with Friends Club or Youth Ministry or some other ministry that we are doing. Even though it's not your usual thing that you like to do. Jesus did not avoid the most difficult day and the most difficult week in history. Do you ever think about that? It's a difficult day, most difficult day, the crucifixion, and the most difficult week in human history. He did not avoid it. We must, we must stay focused on the Lord's work. We must not rely on peace, meaning that we are in God's will, right? You know that old song? 
I don't know if it's that old. I don't know who wrote it. Peaceful, easy feeling. You know, I got that peaceful, easy feeling. That's all I know about it. You guys probably know the song. You might think about it for the rest of the day. Well, think about it with this application. Many times we are relying on a peaceful, easy feeling to know that something is God's will. I will never, ever, ever forget being in a spiritual formation class as a sophomore at Cedar Row University, uh, listening to the professor speak. And the professor's teaching about spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. And he says, he's heard it too many times where people think... If something is God's will, they will have a peace about it. And he had said, there have been many times where I knew something was God's will, and I did not have peace about it. He was a missionary in Nepal. You don't always have uh, peace when you're serving thousands of miles, I don't know how far, thousands of miles away from home in Nepal. I'm sure you don't. You don't always have peace when something is God's will. Quit relying on a peaceful, easy feeling for God's will. I'm sure that Jesus... The peace that Jesus had entering Jerusalem was only by God's grace and and, and certainly because he was fully God and fully man in God's presence with him. And we can certainly have peace following God's will in difficult times by the Holy Spirit within us. But sometimes, at first, we may not have that peace. That doesn't mean it's not God's will. Actually, I think the opposite. I think we need to invert that. I think God wants to stretch us. God wants to take us out of our comfort zones. Because when 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 we are always relying on peace meaning something is God's will, that means we are always relying on my comfort zone, my help, my, my prosperity, my good pleasure, my, 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 my. And God wants us to trust him. God wants us to take us out of our comfort zone. God wants to stretch us. To be sure, I want to make this clear. The Lord can give you peace in the midst of difficult times. But that is often when we jump into the deep water and trust him. Once we jump into the deep water and trust him, we will experience the peace of Christ. But don't rely on the peaceful, easy feeling. Trust the Lord. Seek him. We need to quit taking the easy way out. Jesus did not take the easy way out, did he? We know that as Holy Week went on, he went into Monday, Thursday, after making a lot of people mad in Jerusalem with his teachings. He went into Monday, Thursday. He had the Last Supper. He instituted the, Passover, the, the Last Supper with the disciples. He went into the prayer at Gethsemane. And if you read and you study that prayer at Gethsemane, he was trying to seek the peace that he always had with the Father. And he was struggling. He said, Father, if it is possible, make this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Are we willing to do the same thing for God? In the movie Braveheart, William Wallace had many opportunities to take the easy way out, but he did not. He wanted to die for his cause. Now, the movie Braveheart is a, is a dramatization based off of a real man. William Wallace, who lived in Scotland in the uh, 13th century or something like that, and went to battle with England. Most of you have probably seen the movie or know of the story of, of William Wallace and Braveheart. Anyone who has seen the movie knows the major speech he gives halfway through the movie. And I wish I could play the speech for you, but we won't do that. I won't play anything from that movie today. But I do want to quote the speech. As he goes, you know, this is a real battle, by the way. If any of you have seen the movie, it's a real battle that historians study because the Scottish people should not have been able to beat England in this, in this major battle. And he goes and he tries to negotiate terms with England, but he had no, no plans of negotiating terms with England. 
England was trying to offer him, in the, the character in the movie, England was trying to offer him an easy way out, but he did not take it. And he goes back to the thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men ready to go to battle with England. And the people are getting ready to turn around and go home. And one soldier shares with William Wallace, and, and this soldier says, fight against that? No. We will run and we will live. And William Wallace responds in the movie. This is not real. It's in the movie. He says, I... Fight and you may die. Run and you will live, at least a while. And die in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And with that, as he's riding the horse, giving this speech, he motivates the troops, and the troops go on and beat England in this epic battle, which is based on a real battle, which they really won. In fact, if you've seen the movie, William Wallace goes through torture later on, yelling what? Freedom. By the way, he did it all for love. It's a love story, just so you know. Anyways, <laughs> but he did that knowing that was his mission. Now, obviously, as I've said, that is a movie based on the legend about a real person. But Jesus was also a real person. And none of what we read in the gospel is legend. This is all true. It's God's inspired word, authenticated by history. And in so many ways. And Jesus went to the cross. He entered Jerusalem. He entered Holy Week. He could have gone the other way. He could have relied on a peaceful, easy feeling. And he could have got halfway into Jerusalem and said, boys, I'm not doing this. No way. We know that later on he's before Pilate. And what did he say? He said, I can call down 12 legions of angels if I want and deliver me. Jesus could have just, you know, asked the Father and been delivered. He did not do that. He entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They worshipped him. And he went all the way to the cross. Why did he do it? He did it so that our sins could be washed away. He did this to give us everlasting life. He did this to give us abundant life. That is why he went to the cross for us. So my encouragement, my challenge for you today, love him. Worship him. Serve him. Live your life for him. And share this awesome news of the gospel with other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation. We thank you so much, Lord God for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. We thank you, Lord God, so much that you did this for us. Lord God, I pray that you would help us as we live for you and serve you this week. We need your help. We cannot live for you. We cannot serve you except by the Holy Spirit's grace in our lives. So we ask for your Holy Spirit's presence, guiding us, helping us, supporting us. Lord God, if there's anyone here today who has not surrendered to you. May today be the day of salvation. May today be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the one and only Savior, to trust in you and commit to you. We ask that we would walk with you, that we would walk in our relationship with you all the days of our life. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us abundant life, for giving us life everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite the praise team for the closing song. As always, if you have any questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I'd love to help you. The altars are open. If the Holy Spirit's laid anything on your life and you want to come forward in prayer, never hesitate to come forward to the altars.